0: pray, Father God, we're just so thankful for our little ones in the truth, that they have hope that we have answers for them, God, about what happens after you die, and Lord, how to be safe and blessed in this life, that we have a Savior who loves us. And so, Father, as we take a look now at the, the most grandest words ever spoken through any lips here in John 11, and then the great demonstration, Father God, that Jesus can deliver on what he promises, the miracle of Lazarus. We pray that you would give us a fresh understanding. We've heard the story a lot (laughs) all through the years, Father God, but give us some new insight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I was a kid, just about seven, like some of those kids we just heard from, I remember the first time I ever really thought about death. It was an unpleasant experience. I was lying in bed and my head was pressed against the pillow in such a way I could hear my pulse in my ear. And it was very upsetting because it occurred to me, I'm just one beat away from dying. So in a panic, I ran to my parents with this new and very frightening revelation I don't remember exactly what they said, but I really remember the feeling. My takeaway was this. They don't have the answer either. They seem just as clueless and mystified by death and vulnerable as I. Lo and behold, though, there's somebody with a capital S who does have answers for the fear that hangs over every beating heart. And uh, we're going to meet him here in John 11. Not only does he have the answers, actually, he himself is the answer, as he tells Martha of old, uh, who was grieving the recent loss of her brother, Lazarus. And here's what he said to Martha's hurting heart. He said, Spencer, thank you. (laughs) Spencer, come forth. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Jesus said, uh, that was a spoiler alert. (laughs) All right. Spencer. (laughs) Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And of course, he's talking about the death that matters, the second death the Bible calls. The physical death, boom, done. It's the second death. Jesus came to save us from eternal separation in payment for our sins from God the Father forever. And so that's the bad news that makes the good news so very, very good. And so thank you for that slide, Spencer, at last. We have an answer, something we can count on, words of comfort that cast out all fear, tidings of great joy. And what gives these words power to comfort our hearts and what makes the promise so sure is the identity of the one who made that promise in the first place. In the beginning, the Bible says, was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, who is God, became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. This is he who said, I came down from heaven. And why did he do that? To conquer death by paying for the sins that brought death into the world in the first place. To give an answer to a panicked seven-year-old and a solid reason To never have to be afraid of death or anything else in this world. If the Lord is our shepherd, what have we got to worry about? Amen? He came to bring us new life, raise us to a life that can never die. And so. That's why he came. And, you know, big claims are easy to make. Everybody, anybody can say anything they want. Right. Uh, but Jesus knows that. And so he's made quite a few big claims. And to help us trust him and to understand that he can fulfill and make good those promises. He often followed the big claim with a spectacular miracle that had the same theme as we're about to see, and so that people would know. He's just not talking. He can deliver. And so regarding the promise to grant eternal life to whosoever uh, believes in him, and Martha hears it first in this context, uh, we have to rewind to the beginning of the story, John 11 and verse 1. Now, there was this man named Lazarus. He was sick. He was from Bethany. It's on the top of the Mount of Olives, there, about a mile and a half from Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, Luke 7. And then she does it again toward the end of Jesus' life. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, even though he loved them, he stayed where he was two more days. Let's pause there. Note takers, Lazarus is sick. He is taken ill just like all the rest of us, vulnerable to sicknesses that can lead to death. Jesus' beloved friend here is soon to become a sermon illustration to uh, make Jesus' point. The Lord needs a helping hand. He needs a dead body to make his point. He's gonna volunteer one of his closest buddies for the job. And so, yeah, um, now a man named Lazarus was sick, got it. He's from Bethany, Oh yeah, the village where Mary and Martha, this the whole family is where they have hosted the lord and the 12 on several occasions this mary whose brother lazarus now lay sick and then goes on to remind us of a very uh, touching incident but we get it lazarus is sick and he's not going to be getting any better anytime soon because he's needed to make a jesus claim evidence and to prove the fact that as i've been saying that jesus is not just a mere talker he can actually deliver and so these claims he's been making claims about granting eternal life from the very beginning here are four of them first in john 10 my sheep listen to my voice he's talking as the shepherd i know them they follow me i give them eternal life They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We sang that verse uh, this morning. Second there, uh, very truly I say to you, says the Son of God, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. That's the second death, the, the, the condemnation part, justly for our sins, but has crossed over from death to life. Thirdly, whoever drinks of the water that I give will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And then uh, finally here, but there are plenty of other ones. I just picked four. <laughs> For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up. I will resurrect him, the believer, on that last day John 6 and verse 40 there so it seems clear Jesus knows why he came a lot of preachers don't know preachers will tell you oh, he came to improve your life and give you your best life now or to make sure there's always money in the bank or to make sure you never get sick or to take away all your troubles well I assure you of this the quality of your life will improve And he has promised to meet your every need. But that's not primarily why he comes. He comes into this world to provide forgiveness of sin, reconcile us to God, that we might have eternal life, plain and simple. There it is. I love it. And it's an easy verse to remember, John 66, verse 6. Very easy to remember, because that verse says, When Jesus said some complicated things, from that point on, many of his disciples turned away from him. But then the following verse says, Jesus looks at Peter and says, you guys gonna take off too? And Peter says, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You see, that was the big claim. And now he needs the big miracle to follow. He needs a dead body to prove he got the goods there. And so, as I've been saying, Lazarus doesn't feel so good. He's running a really high fever, and he's not going to recover. He's going to die as the Lord desires. This is going to be God's will. And that's what it says in your text there, verse 4. Our hardships can glorify God and serve his purposes. Uh, We don't like that. We don't ask for it. But it just seems to be the way God works. He likes to use our weakness to display his power. And he does it all the time. And and now he says in your text, this sickness is not going to end in death. I wish someone in the crowd could have heard that and remembered it because nobody does. And, and, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, this sickness is not going to end in death. It's happening to show off the power of God that lives in the son. So people can know when he makes a promise, he's not just fooling around. And so it's for God's glory, quote, that God's son would be glorified through it. It means to make Jesus bigger for all the world to see that God has power to accomplish good through suffering. And that's really what he's doing here. Now, uh, take a moment and think about your losses and your crosses. You all have them. Trials and troubles and things that are upsetting you even today that for the moment you've managed to kind of put aside. But as soon as you know you have some free time, it's going to come back because that's your life right now. And, and it's not pleasant. But in the light, if you're a believer, in the light of what the Lord is trying to say here, through this painful thing, God can show all the wonders of who he is and what he can do to save and deliver looked at your text, even though he loved them, yet he delayed. He didn't come to the rescue. He didn't change it. He let what was happening happen, much to the dismay of those he loved and those who loved him for a reason, because sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now, I learned this all through my life. I, I, I told the first service about a time when God delayed for his glory and for his purposes in my life. Many of you know I had a bone marrow transplant uh, 20 years ago. I had a resistant form of Hodgkin's lymphoma. I ended up in UCSF uh, for, for 60 days. At the end of the 60 days, they gave me back my marrow, my stem cells, and waited for them to graft. When you graft, you can get out of the hospital. If you don't graft, you die. Day one, day two, day three, day four, they're waiting for me to graft. Day seven, I'm not grafted. And they say, we're starting to get a little concerned. Uh, You need to graft. And I'm like, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laying here trying. I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. I'm like, Lord, did you just hear that? That's a prayer request, God. I need to graft. No grafting. So let me tell you what happened A couple days before that, I had been making the rounds and I ran into a couple who were visiting their father on an adjacent wing, the neurosurgery wing, where the the man's father lay, flown in by helicopter, had a brain aneurysm and was on death's door. He told me all about it. Well, on the seventh day, eighth day, no grafting, I want to go home. I want to live. in they came to my room. And I'm in my pajamas, and I'm hooked to like seven bottles. And they say, can you come? We want a pastor in the room. With my dad, we have to take him off life support. We'd like you to come and pray with us. The whole family's gathered. Would you mind? And I said, I'm not really dressed for it, but... (laughs) I've never made a house call in my pajamas, uh, but, but I will. So in I walked, and they pulled the curtain back, and his head was swollen. He looked horrible. And there were about 25 people gathered around crying. And I shared the gospel a little bit. They were a bit surprised to see me standing there, but the son explained it and said he's a pastor. He's getting treatment. And so I offered up a prayer, and they took their dad off life support. And I got to minister there. The next morning I grafted. And, And the Lord said in my heart, sorry for the delay, but I needed to do something. I needed you here. If you would have grafted on day two, you would have been out and unavailable. You know, sometimes folks, it's not about just you and your trouble he's trying to use that trouble he's trying to redeem it in some beautiful way so be open to that and when you are uh, it soothes your pain and calms your fears and if i could have been laying there instead of panicking and thinking god you got this i know it's cool you're gonna, you're using this for some reason i could have uh, been less anxious right Okay, I've been a bit rude. I haven't introduced the sisters here, Mary and Martha. You know them well if you're a Christian for any length of time. Uh, Mary, we met them in Luke chapter 10. Uh, because Jesus visits their home quite a lot Anytime he's going over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. Mary's the quiet, contemplative, contemplative introvert who would rather read a book, and Martha's the sister with high energy. She's the type A personality who would rather be putting on a Broadway production than reading some book, all right? So yeah, the sisters host Jesus in Luke 10, and Jesus is teaching in the living room while Martha is distracted, doing her thing, prep work, doing it all by herself, while her sister's just reflecting and enjoying herself sitting (laughs) down there. She becomes, Martha becomes agitated, and she says, Lord, tell my sister to stop just sitting there and give me a hand. There's no please in the request. (laughs) I looked for it, there's no please there. She's upset. And so Jesus tells Martha, 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 you are so uptight and distracted about every little thing. But in this moment, something more important is happening. And you're kind of missing out. And your sister is enjoying it. She's chosen what's better in the moment. And that's not going to be taken from her. And so, uh, yes, uh, they were in that house many times eating from Martha's uh, favorite recipes, which explains several shout-outs to the following passages that you're staring at. Uh, verse 3 and verse 5. They're a little bit odd. They should strike you as such. Uh, verse 3, Lazarus, the one you love. And then verse 5, now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Every time I read that, it's like, wow you know, uh, kind of obvious, you know, why is the Lord pointing that out there? That Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We know that. And he loves everyone else in the story. We know that. And everyone else in the whole world. We know that. Why are you pointing that out? To make a point. Not everyone responds to Jesus in the same way, and that w- that's what makes all the difference in the world. It's not so much, the point isn't so much that Jesus had the special love for them. They had this special love for him which in turn provided a closer more intimate relationship with them now you know not right not everyone opens their homes to him with warm warm hearts there were a lot of homes on that scattered hillside but theirs was open not only to him but 12 hungry guys that every time they showed up man they're hungry And she waited on them hand and foot. Now, come on. What's not to love about Martha? What's not to love? And then not everyone sat at Jesus' feet just oohing and awing over every little word that came out of his mouth. Oh, Lord, that was beautiful. Oh, my word, I want to be just like that. Oh, can you repeat that? That was so lovely, so powerful, Lord. I love when you talk. When you talk, it's just like, like I'm hearing from God. <laughs> 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 What's not to love about this one? We, and, and he gives you a shout out about her. Back in Luke 7 and then again in Matthew 26 and John 12, uh, she interrupts some dinner, an important dinner. And, and this uh, Mary uh, barges in, falls at Jesus' feet, starts crying, and uh, wets his with her tears and then takes out very expensive lotion that's perfumed, and which is what they used to do but not this kind. They used to anoint, the servant in the house with an, uh, would apply lotion to their feet because uh, they had sandals and they walked a lot and, and uh, yeah, So so it was a delight to do that. It was a custom, but this was expensive nard used for weddings and it was almost your dowry you see and she just brought that with her she, she anointed his feet and that explosive over the top gesture out of her mind with love for the Lord takes her hair and <laughs> drying and caressing his feet what's not to love about that woman from, from, from the Lord's point of view right? Guy, you know, dude, I feel sorry for your wife. That's what I feel. It's like, hey, man, Who wouldn't love a wife like that? You know? I heard that. I hope that's not how it went. All right. James James 4.8 says this. Here's the bottom line so we can move forward. What James says this, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. And that's what's going on here. So ready to move on. Jesus gets news in your text here. One of your closest friends is sick and it's serious. So he hurries off to go save the day. Nope, he doesn't. And I love that it says, even though, yet even though he loved them, He delayed because he's got something better in mind. Verse 11, we're going to just fast forward through some of the details and keep with the story here. Uh, So verse 11, after he had said this, well, let me tell you what you're missing. Uh, He said, hey, boys, we're going to go to Judea. And they said, what's up with that? Why would you go back there? They're trying to kill you. And he said, look, you know, time is short. Uh, They're only a few weeks from the cross. We got stuff to do, so it doesn't matter about the risk. God the Father has this open box, you know, Lazarus, all right? So it doesn't matter about the risk. There's only so much time, and the clock is ticking. After he said that, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go and wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his disciples, clueless usually, uh, thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them bluntly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that your faith will be whole. You wouldn't shipwreck like everybody else on the scene. All the believers at the scene, their faith, their condition, their trust in God out the window. And so he's like, I, I'm, I'm actually glad uh, that you were, I wasn't there. But let's go to him. Let's pause and talk about this here. So yeah, Lazarus has died. Uh, just like you and me, we have to do that. It's appointed unto men once to die. I'm quoting the Bible. It's appointed. You have a God-appointed day. We all have an expiration date. And should the Lord tarry, the old King James' word for delay, uh, then we all must face our time. So Jesus gives a heads up. He says, uh, he gives a diagnosis along with a prognosis. The diagnosis is kind of grim. He's dead. (laughs) But the prognosis is hopeful. Uh, He's not going to stay that way for long, uh, which is kind of cool to hear. (laughs) I plan on waking him up, you know, And uh, So to emphasize the temporal state of Lazarus' condition, he uses the euphemism to sleep. The Bible does that with believers, especially Jairus' daughter. He said, what's all the fuss about? She's just sleeping. And uh, raised her from the dead. And Deacon Stephen, when he is being persecuted to death and he dies, the Bible describes it this way, he fell asleep you see. Now, I want you to know this, that when sleep is used as a euphemism for death, it's talking strictly about the body, not the soul. Because the Bible says in more than one place to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't know what they're doing when a Christian departs to the presence of the Lord. Perhaps they're helping him prepare that place. He's gone. Uh, to go to to prepare a place for us who knows the Bible's silent about what they're doing, uh, but they are alive in their spiritual bodies. When we vacate, the body appears as sleeping. And the body looks lifeless, but actually it's resting because on Resurrection Day, which is also called the rapture of the church, those who have died in Christ who are now present and not sleeping, who have their spiritual bodies and working quite well, they await the final phase, which is the glorification and the perfection of that physical body. It doesn't matter if it blew up. It doesn't matter if it fell into the ocean. It doesn't matter what happened to it. It's going to, the body you have is going to be with you for eternity. The only variable is where that eternity will be because both the wicked and the righteous are resurrected in bodily form. Now, if that concerns you because you're not in love with your body, <laughs> you know, just know this, that it's, it will be perfected. It will be beautified. And Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says, it will be a body as glorious as the son of God's body. And he will make it that way. So yeah, you will be amazing and you will not have to go to the gym any longer. (laughs) And know this, there's food in heaven, there's a marriage supper and they eat. And uh, you can eat as much as you want and you don't have to be thinking in your head, maybe I'm overdoing it, maybe I should have wore my looser pants. So he says, listen, uh, they're in the fog I'm going to wake him up. Uh, Look, guys, Lazarus is dead. Don't you get it? He's dead, dead, dead. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and uh, yeah. I have written down here, and if you don't mind a little levity, From the Princess Bride, the movie. Uh, I think what Jesus is saying is a little bit kind of what Miracle Max was getting at in the movie, and I'll explain it to you if you haven't seen it. Um, I recommend it. It's pretty funny. So they bring this dead guy, draped over their shoulders, uh, Wesley, who's died to Miracle Max. And his lifeless corpse is there on the shoulders, so Miracle Max says, "Uh, hey, I wonder why you're bringing him here. You know he probably owes you money, right? <laughs> and Montoya quips, um, "Yeah, because he says he owes you money, doesn't he?" I'll ask him. And Montoya says, "You can't ask him. Hello, he's dead. <laughs> he can't talk." So Max says, "Woohoo! Look who knows so much!" Um, and by the way, Billy Crystal is uh, Jewish, so that's how he talks. Uh, just happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. Big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mo- mostly dead, slightly alive. <laughs> and he says, with, with all dead? Well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you could do. And he says, what's that? And he says, go through his pockets and look for loose change. <laughs> Dude, you know, Jesus could have said, look, he's mostly dead. Guys, his body certainly is Right? His spirit is alive and well. And his uh, body, his body's temporarily offline. And Jesus is headed that direction to reboot the system. So let's go. Verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, okay, news travels fast. She went out to meet him. The outskirts of her little village, there I imagine, but Mary stayed at home. Oh, uh, you know, in keeping with their personalities, Martha <laughs> makes a beeline. Mary's at home. <laughs> Lord, Martha says to Jesus, "If you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died." But and here's this beautiful attempt at faith. It does, She doesn't go any further with it, sadly, all the way to the tomb. She remains in unbelief. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. That's beautiful. She, she knows it in her head, but it's not in her heart. Jesus said to her, your brother's going to rise again. Martha answered, yeah, I know he's going to rise again the resurrection on the last day. Some glad morning when there's life. Is- <laughs> you know, but Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, Mary. I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Don't you believe this? Yes, Lord sidesteps the issue with a beautiful shout out. I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. Notice she doesn't say, okay, let's do this. Let's go tell the others. Now she's like, I know who you are. I believe who you are, but I'm still not sure that you're going to raise my brother. You see, so let's talk about this. Lazarus has gotten sick. Lazarus has died. And now Jesus has to preach the gospel to a believer, which he often needs to do. Now, uh, the encounter with Martha. Words reach the house and Jesus is approaching and out she comes. If only you would have done something. If only you would have come when I asked you to come. My brother would still be alive. Translation. I'm disappointed you didn't come when I called you. Um, Had you responded, you know, things would be a lot different. We wouldn't be in this pain. Why'd you let this happen? I thought you loved him. It even says in the text, I thought we had something special. You know, it's an emotional toll for sure for all of them. And when death comes or Any kind of weird, uh, out of the blue hardship for a Christian who loves God. It's a lot of work to get our thoughts straight with our hurting hearts. And so, yeah, I mean, think of what she's facing. Lord, come quick. He's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. Where's the Lord? He's not that far away. He could have made it. He doesn't show up. He dies. They have a funeral. He doesn't come to the funeral. It's been a few days now past there. And she's like, Well, where is he? And now he's showing up. Now he shows up after the funeral. Yeah. Now, you don't think the devil's working? Oh. Haven't you ever heard this in in your trauma as a Christian? Haven't you ever heard, uh, Where was he when you really needed him? Uh, All the people, of all the people he lets die. You know, how about the Pharisees are trying to kill everybody? Those corrupt people. Oh, no, the devil says. And by the way, the word devil means slanderer. That's what he does. He's slandering God, lying about God to us and thus his name. So he must do it pretty good. So he tells her, you know where the Pharisees are tonight? They're sitting back with their families, having a glass of wine, laughing, laughing kids and grandkids. And how about your table? You who serve like a crazy lady. What do you get for all of that? You get your brothers dead. That's what you get. Yeah. Don't think she didn't hear that. Grief without, one writer, grief without the sure guidance of faith and the word of God will always jump to conclusions of the very worst kind. He goes on to say, grief that's supported by the truth and the and the word of God can bring rest, speed healing, restore hope, and before long the heart will be found rejoicing. That's just a little lesson there. So let's not grieve. Quote, quoting 1 Thessalonians 4, don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no God and no hope. Grieve, yes, be in pain. We have to be in pain, but in pain, be upheld and undergirded by the promises of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit who's walking us through those hard times. I love her attempt to speak it out. Bummed as I am, Lord, bleak as things appear, even though the window of opportunity has closed, even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. So as I said, it's in her head but the heart is so far away. Sometimes it's a long trip from here uh, to here. And so, yeah. So look at Jesus in verse 23, trying to coax it out of her. And that's what he does. He tries to shape our faith. He, he says, come on, you know, step out of the boat. Come on to me. Yeah, come to me, you know? And so he says, listen, well, maybe his eyebrows going up and down. He says, hey, Mary, Martha, I mean, look at me, look at me. Your brother's going to rise. Okay. <laughs> You know, come on, come on, come on. I'm just starting off. Vanna, come on, I want you to believe. I want you to say, okay, let's do this. Let's go tell them. Ah, she just, she misses it. And and for good reason, probably. For a great, you know, I can understand. She doesn't want to presume upon him. You know, we have a special thing going. You know, we, ha- you, we have a special thing. Can you pull some strings for us? You know, can you give us an exempt card? Everybody else has to die except my brother. Because we're special, so she doesn't want to do that. And she also knows. Look, he he raised two. He they they know he's raised two people from the dead. But God works differently in different people's lives. So she's not going to presume that. Well, you raised two other people. Come on, you love him. Remember, we're close. She doesn't want to do that. So, yeah, um, yeah, yes, Lord, I know. She says. <laughs> Now, uh, moving on here, uh, she says, I know he's going to rise. It's like in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore. I know the hymn, but it's not helpful right now. And Jesus says, "Uh, not only can I raise him, but, you know, it's not just something I can do, Martha. It's who I am. Do you believe this? And then she she says, yes, I do. I know exactly who you are. I'm just not sure you're going to do it. Picking up at uh, verse 33. After, by the way, in the interim that we're kind of fast-forwarding through, uh, she runs off to get her quiet sister. Her quiet sister comes out to the same place and repeats the same exact words, if only you were here, and bursts into tears, and then verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary now weeping, and the Jews who had tagged along also crying their eyes out, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. We weep with those who weep. And when when the people we love are sad, we're sad. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they said. Jesus wept. The, two, uh, the shortest sentence in the Bible, the shortest verse, and the most profound meaning. God is crying. Wow. He's a sympathetic high priest. <laughs> Then that you said, see how he loved him. No, that's not why he's crying. He knows exactly where uh, Lazarus is and what he's planning to do. He's not crying because he died. Then some of them said, here's partially why he's crying. Then some of them, the closest friends, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let's pause there. Uh, Yes, the tears of God. (laughs) It has a lot to do with the condition of the faith of his nearest and dearest followers than uh, it has to do with Lazarus' death for sure. Now, the Lord comes from a land where there are no tombs and no death and no suffering. But for 33 earth years, he's been surrounded and inundated by all kinds of sorrows. He is, after all, called in the scriptures a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. Not to mention his own troubles, but he carried our grief in his heart and to the cross. Uh, So in that moment, why Jesus is crying and weeping, uh, he's spanning through the ages, taking in all of death's victims and uh, all the misery that sin and death has um, incurred on countless millions of souls. And it says he's troubled. He knows what he's going to have to do to solve this problem for millions and millions of people. And so he's troubled and he's weeping and he's sad. It's a mixture of all of that. And so, you know, to hear your closest friends say in a snotty voice, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Oh, all of a sudden, it's so cold and distant. What? Because God didn't do it the way you wanted it to. So now you need to kind of step back, isolate, and point the finger at God because he didn't deliver you, and he delayed, and he let something painful happen to you. So, yeah. They become cold, distant, quick to criticize, looking for a reason to disbelieve. You know, what kind of savior would do something like that? And I think they're thinking, maybe they say, you know, I just need some time to process. You know, my favorite saying of all, I can't stand that. I understand what you're saying when you say I need to work through something, but oftentimes I hear I need to process as just a fat excuse to drag our heels not to forgive, Oh, well, you can tell the Lord. You know, he says, like, The Lord says to you, forgive or you're not going to be forgiven. And then we're like, Well, I'm processing. You know, <laughs> sorry. You know, and he goes, Okay, then I'll be processing too. Those who don't show mercy aren't going to get mercy. That's what he says. Well, we're, we're processing. He goes, Okay, when you get around to obeying instead of processing, then let me know. Amen. Let's finish up. Let's get to that tomb. All right, 38, to the end. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away that stone, he said. And here's Martha, who said, even now I know that God will do anything you want, so I know it's possible. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Yes, Martha, your brother will rise. I'm the resurrection and the life. She still does not believe it. Roll away the stone. I'm about to do it. And Martha says, um, "Lord, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days." I love the King James. There, you've heard me say this before. The King James says, uh, "But he stinketh." You know. <laughs> I I just I think you should always leave the King James in there. And then Jesus has to say, didn't I tell you, hold on, didn't I tell you, Dave, didn't I tell you, Mike, didn't I tell you, Steve, didn't I tell you, Jeanette, (laughs) didn't I tell you the thing that you think stinketh is actually, doesn't stinketh at all. It's actually gonna be a beautiful thing when I get done with it. So stop calling every trouble, you know, oh, that's horrible. You see, then Jesus said, "Did not tell you if you believed." You see, the glory of God redeem that thing, use that thing. Oh man, moving on. We'll finish up. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looks up and says, "Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where somebody, God bless them, and I've done it, uh, where you're not really praying, you're really kind of preaching, you know, <clears throat> or you're sending a message to someone else in the group?" Well, Jesus is. Jesus is doing that right here, but in a beautiful, sinless way. He's saying, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. We've talked about this. I know we're on the same page. I didn't need to say a prayer right now. I could just call him forth. But I knew that for 42, I knew that you always hear me. And I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe and make the connection between God, the father and God, the son. When he said that, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I love what one commentator said. Good thing he tagged the name Lazarus on there or there would have been a parade (laughs) of corpses coming out. Because after all, that's the voice of God. And when the dead hear the voice of God, you know, chop, chop, it's time to go. (laughs) Verse 44, the dead man came out. I need a video of this. Mostly of the faces in the crowd. He comes out, his hands and his feet wrapped with burial cloth, a cloth around his face as well. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me just tell you something you've never seen before, I think. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. The verb let him go in the Greek is identical to forgiven. The word forgiven and to forgive. It's the same exact word. And in the sense of to loose your your sins, to let go from the judgment, to take it off you, it's the same word. So there's a play on words here. So you've got Lazarus, whose name means God is my helper. And the voice of God goes out to those who say God is my helper and raises them from the dead brings them out and pronounces forgiven wow there's the gospel and that's what God does he layers upon layers upon layers everywhere you go it's like don't miss this don't miss this the dead at the end of the age the wicked dead they are raised from Hades and they stand before in their spiritual bodies that he raises up and he doesn't pronounce a in the Greek. He doesn't say forgiven. He says condemned. Why? He's just, our sins, justice has been done. He paid for every single sin you've ever committed, are committing and will commit On him, paid in full. He's just. When he says, come on in. Why? You're not guilty. You're innocent. Why? Not wink, wink. Look right here. Paid in full. Justice has been satisfied. Every single sin. I died. I agonized. They spit in my face because I died not only for you, I died as you. So everything you could have deserved from the stripping now, I was stripped so that you can be covered. I was abandoned. Father, Father, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabakthani, which is Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's forsaken so that you can be welcomed. He's broken so that you can be whole. And by his flogging, his stripes, you can be healed. You see, this is it. So don't miss it. Sooner or later, the pulse is going to stop. And then there you are. And either you will rise and be in the presence of the Lord or you will descend to a place called Hades. That's it. Nothing in between. And Jesus is saying, I lay life and death before you. Choose life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. You do love us. You, you, you don't will that anyone perish, and you went through an enormous uh, effort to see that that would never happen to any living soul. But Lord, you did give us free will, and we just pray that you would help our free will to, to yield, to to what we feel is right and true here, in Jesus' name, Amen.